The Brewing Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Good morning, Jay-Z. Hey, today we're uh, talking about uh, Bavarian Weizens, or Hefeweizens. And uh, before we get into that, uh, so tell me, I, I didn't make it back home until probably about 2 o'clock last night from the anniversary party. And I stopped drinking around, oh, 7.30 or so. No, you didn't. I'll, uh, I did. I, the did last really? thing I had, yeah, was uh, when we were shotgunning those 21st Amendment IPAs. <laughs> Your face, man, after that was bad. At 7%, uh, yeah. 76 IBU beer. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> went down pretty smooth. Yeah. <laughs> Took me back to my college days, but I hear you guys had a, a rough time uh, getting back. Oh, man. I saw the angry side, the dark side of Justin. I, f- I flipped, <laughs> oh, actually. Flipped. Everyone was a bit surprised. Yeah. Well, I wanted us all to get home safe, so I had planned for the anniversary party. And I knew there was going to be a lot of people, and we wanted to have a little anniversary uh, you know, celebration back at the house. So I was going to rent us a van. And at least what I thought at the time, and, and Jamil, you can now, uh, you know, I should have spoken to you first, maybe. Uh, as I'm calling around, I find out to rent a van. Is the same a fifteen a twelve to fifteen passenger van is the same price as renting a uh, a twelve passenger limousine for an hour, and and you don't then you don't have to worry about a designated driver. Right. So I went well. Psh, limo. It is. We'll go with the limo. Yeah. That sounds like a great deal. It was like a just a it was supposed to be just a, a little bit more for for a tip. You had to tip the guy. Right. And I figured to have a driver so that we didn't have to worry about anybody. It was worth the extra tip. You right. know. Um, well, it starts out, the guy picks us up, it, he ends up wanting to charge me more than yeah. that he wants to charge me a late night charge. Um, so whatever, uh, so I argue with him a little bit about, about that. about the oil too, man? He's got the hood open on <laughs> yeah. the limo, right when he pulls up, he pops the hood, he's checking the oil, I don't know what's going on. And uh, hangs out with me, it, it was a, a whole thing with him, just getting us into the, to the limo. He was a whiny little bitch too from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then we get in there. It, we got twelve people, which is what the li- what limo I ordered. Turns out to be a ten person limo. Mm. We got twelve people. Two of them are fat guys. Yeah. Um, three of them actually are fat guys. So then we're riding. Oh, Jamil, are you? Is that you sitting back there laughing? <laughs> <laughs> so then we're we're driving along. We we get uh, I don't know tw- the, twenty minutes away from the Bay Bridge, right off of it. My roommate, who's on in the back seat on one side of the limo, hurls all over the, the door. Tries to get it out the window, gets it all over himself in the door. And he had this funniest smirk on his face afterwards. Just the whole time, it's like, yeah, oh, man. <laughs> oh. So I tell we the, the limo driver doesn't know, and we ask him, "Hey, can you can you pull over? We need you to pull over." And and we're yelling at him finally because he won't pull over. We're like, "You gotta pull over." And he's like, I, you paid for direct service. I don't pull over. No stops. He's yelling at us. No stops. No stops. And I'm still talking to him nicely at this point. And I'm like, listen, I know. You got to pull over. And he's ye- now he's yelling at us. He's actually yelling at his customers. No stops. And I just snapped. Yeah, you did. Like, that was it for me. It's been a long day. Mm-hmm. This guy was a douche to begin <laughs> with. And I just, I'm yelling at this guy from the back of the limo. F you. Yeah. You got the hood up when you pull us over. There's no oil in your cab. I order a 12-person limo. You give me 10. You overcharge me. I got a guy puking on your seat back here. If you don't pull over, I'm coming through the window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was re- that was well done. Uh, and I, I mean, I just uh, the whole cat, the whole limo goes silent <laughs> except for me yelling. I guy, was proud of you, man. That was awesome. Guy pulls over, and so now that wasn't even the ugly part. The guy pulls over. He opens our door, the side of the door. He opens. Oz, big giant Oz, jumps out of the limo and and is about to like eat this guy's head. Yeah, he, he like he gets so much in his face. He's about to eat his head. 
Guy freaks out, picks up his cell. I'm calling the cops. He's running around the gas station. <laughs> you guys are trying to kill me. I, I, I don't feel safe. This guy's going to hurt me. Oh, it was a mess. Daniela had to talk him down and get a, so that he would still give us a... At this point, we're in, the, we're in downtown Oakland about to call a bunch of cabs. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was a mess, Jamil. So when you offered to give me a spot on the limo earlier... <laughs> yeah. You were the smart uh, one. You, uh, you somehow, yeah. I just, <laughs> I just knew. Huh? Oh, it was such a mess. But what about the second guy that yacked? So that, yeah, that was. So Daniela talks him down. We get back in the limo. We're almost home. We're 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 a, a minute and a half away from my house. We're right around the corner. The same back seat of the limo, but the other side of the car. My roommate Joe, who was a pain oh. in the ass all night. Not my room. My old friend. He pukes all over the other side of the limo. <laughs> Same scene. He pukes all over. Yeah. Oh. A poor girl sitting in the middle of those two fat guys had just puke all around her. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was a mess, man. It was it was my worst nightmare. Oh, oh you almost yak, too. I, the, just the yakking makes me sick. You yeah. guys know yeah, how germ-phobia I am. I see that. Uh, I had to jump out of the limo, run down the street, and I, I let up a little. Uh, before the guy yaked, when, after we got back in from the gas station in Oakland, yeah. we were on the road for a mere ten minutes. The same guy who yaked the second time, he's got a can of 218 in his hand it's half full he tries to chuck it out the window of the limo he misses he it lands all over the side of the limo he tries again chucks it out on the fr- in the middle of the freeway what a dumbass he is a total dumbass At the, i mean the limo driver sees it so now we're puking in his car we're chucking beer cans out the window <laughs> jameel uh, it was a mess man the show was good though <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we talk about uh, German Weizbier, Jamil? <laughs> yeah, I feel dirty after that whole... <laughs> I know. Uh, I'll give you even the long version later. What a mess. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. It's mm. one for the memory books. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right, so uh, we're talking about uh, Bavarian uh, Weizens, or German Hefeweizens. And, and these are those, uh, you know, beers that... They come from uh, traditionally from southern Germany, Bavaria, so that's why Bavarian, right? Uh, and they come in uh, versions that are cloudy and versions that are crystal clear. Uh, they are, um, by law, uh, these these beers have to have at least 50% wheat. So the Germans have a lot of beer laws, and they control. Everything from the starting gravity of a beer to ingredients, things like that. And one of them is that on um, these Hefeweizens, they must have 50% wheat. And commercially, you'll come across versions that are anywhere 50, 60, 70% wheat. Hmm. And uh, you have to have that in order to get the German Hefe flavor. A lot of people think it just comes from the yeast. It's yeast and it's also the wheat, and there's a there's a reason behind that. We'll get into that a little bit. But a uh, German Heffa is going to have the cloudy appearance. It's going to be a pale straw, maybe into dark gold color. So anywhere in in there, depending on the ingredients, uh, whether it's decocted things like that, uh, they're going to have a big, huge, thick white head on them, and uh, you know, again. Cloudy, but that's not necessarily from the yeast. It can be from the wheat. Uh, can be from suspended yeast, especially if you roll the bottle and uh, rouse the the yeast before pouring. And uh, they have uh, crystal uh, versions. They call them crystal Weizen, which is they filter it and they're crystal clear. Hmm. The aroma when you come across one of these beers is going to have some moderate phenolics to it. And phenolics are uh, things that, uh, in this case, a clove phenol. You know, you ever smell clove cigarettes? Well, that clove, uh, very distinct. So a clove phenol, it's kind of, how would you describe it, John? Peppery? It's really spicy-like. Yeah, it's like a spicy, almost... Uh, Peppery's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little, little bit. It's not quite medicinal, but... You know, it's a it's a phenol, so uh, they all kind of have that 
it's a very similar kind of uh, would range. You say, would you say cardboard-like too? Mm, no. Like kind of bready-ish? Well, yeah, or biscuity. No. <laughs> that too. <laughs> uh, and you're going to get a uh, fruity ester, hmm. which is going to be, uh, should be usually a banana ester in this. So the, the two linchpins of the hefa aroma is clove and banana. And you might get some other fruity esters in there as well. But generally, that's what you're looking for is the clove and banana. And it should, shouldn't be overwhelming or solventy. It should be uh, moderate but balanced with the other aromas. And you really won't get any hops in the aroma. You should get a, a wheat aroma, which can be uh, bready, uh, uh, grainy, or... Uh, doughy sometimes. Uh, the best ones are like a, a fresh uh, baked bread. And sometimes uh, that can be a little bit biscuity. Hmm. Um, other than that, you're going to have a fairly clean beer. It's going to, there shouldn't be any um, DMS from the Pilsner malt. There shouldn't be any uh, diacetyl. There shouldn't be any uh, Hot alcohol or anything like that. You might get other, you know, fruity characteristics, but they should just be in support of the that clove, banana, and as far as flavor goes, uh, you're going to have again the 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 banana and clove and. Um, you shouldn't uh, shouldn't have anything. Uh, sometimes uh, people will have a bubblegum characteristic that gets into their 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 beer, and uh, it it can detract from the overall thing. Mm. If you if you're if you're brewing this and you end up with a, a heavy bubblegum, I mean a little bit is okay, but usually what that's a sign of is uh, overly hot fermentation or weak fermentation. And I've lost you guys. I cannot hear you guys at all at this point. Are you there? So I'm skyping it in. Yeah, now I can hear you. Here you are. All right, I can hear. I can hear you, John. But uh, okay. I'm skyping it in, you guys. Jamil uh, doing the Skypey. Yeah. Again, uh, uh, family situation uh, just requires me to be at home uh, today, and unfortunately, uh, but uh, the show must go on. So if if you hear anything weird, it's just because uh, technology, right? Right now, it's just uh, just beating on us. We're still unpacking. Right. Right. But actually, you guys sound better now. Nice. All the all the noise is gone. Good. Um, you said bubble gummy. Is that yeah? And the flavor. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. How hot of a fermentation like would produce that? Well, you know, it's interesting uh, on the fermentation. A lot of people ferment these things a lot warmer than they should. Hmm. They believe that you know that's how you get you know more banana or more clove, and there was this whole homebrew thing about you know these warmer fermentation temperatures. And uh, there we'll get into it a little bit later on, but there's this 30 degree uh, Celsius rule where your pitching temperature and your ferment temperature add up to 30. It's just this traditional rule, and what that means is you'd pitch at something like uh, 12 degrees C, which is about 54 degrees Fahrenheit, and you would let it warm up by itself and ferment to uh, 18 degrees C, which would be about 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. And most people there um, fermenting their Weizens, you know, 67, 70 degrees, and that's how you end up with those, those too much bubble gum and all that stuff in there. Now, if you were judging that type of, like, vice beers, I mean, do you... Well, I can't even think. I'm so fucking hungover. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, vice beer, is that beer? <laughs> beer? Jahan. I don't think I'll have one. I dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> Come on, chicken yeah, right, boy, boy. Pull it together. I'm trying, man. Hey, um, if, you're t- if you're judging, when you judge these style of beers in competitions, um, it seems like such a one single-sided type of beer I mean, if you, how do you even choose a vice beer one over the, the other? I mean, they're so identical, so so alike. Well, I mean, what are you yeah, really looking for? In the that's a good that's a good question. And you might 
ask the same thing of something like a Munich Helles or a North German Pilsner. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're very uh, you know very uh, similar stylistically across across as you go across Germany. And what makes one better than the other? Now, there's other flavors in there. You know, there's there's a bready, grainy flavor. There's you know a little bit of the the Pils malt uh, sweetness will be in there. Uh, you know, all these things come together and you just get this magical balance of, uh, you know, the clove and the banana and the bready and, uh, you know, the mouthfeel and the, the sweetness versus the hot bitterness. And, you know, it's it's a very subtle uh, thing mm-hmm. across all these different seemingly minor characteristics. But when done right and when in proper balance, it's a really delicious uh, easy drinking beer. A lot of people don't care for this style. They say, "Oh, I drink anything but a German Hefe." Right. And the reason is they've been drinking some bad ones. You right. know, people are making these uh, uh, hot, fermented, uh, out of balance, too sweet uh, beers. Mm-hmm. This is a, a beer that a Bavarian would start their breakfast with. Nice. You know, they in the morning they'd have their, uh, you know. Pancakes or their cornflakes and a uh, you know half liter of uh, vice beer to, wow. s- to start. That's good. You know, just like Justin. You know. Yeah. Could use one right now. Sorry, what are we drinking now? Yeah, we are. Is that what's happening here? <laughs> start all over, man. <laughs> so, uh, what about uh, freshness? Like the quality? Like how long do these things actually age or are good for? You know, in the bottle from the time that you ferment. We were talking uh, about this last night a little bit. Yeah, a, a very short amount of time, surprisingly. These things, you need to drink them fresh. You need to brew them, uh, give them a little time to condition, and then you should go ahead and drink them. These do not store well and do not do well over a long period of time. Uh, it's really all about that fresh, bready malt and the, uh, you know, the clove and banana. And if you let it sit too long, uh, especially wheat yeast. That's one of the things is, is these wheat yeast. If you're brewing a series of wheat beers and you want to repitch the yeast from, say, uh, uh, Hefeweizen to a Dunkelweizen to a Weizenbach, you need to do that really quickly in between. You cannot wait a long time. You can't uh, take a pitch of this yeast, store it in the fridge, and expect it to be good uh, You know, three, four weeks down the road. Mm-hmm. I find after a week you get some serious loss in the yeast, and it's and it's really pushing it. And you get to two weeks, uh, past two weeks, you know, might as well give up on that yeast and start over. So if you if you're you know repitching your yeast, that's one of the things to be very careful about. See that strikes that strikes me as odd because I, th- this type of yeast ferment so active, at, right? And it's you know I get customers all the time saying you know I had yeast spew all over my closet, you know, on my clothes and. Every time, you know, it's just such a highly active yeast that you think it would be able to survive. But it's an interesting point. Well, that you made. but but that's the thing. You know, the more active it is, the it's like uh, you know, uh, live hard, die young, right? right? Oh, there you go. Nice. You know, you're out, you're out uh, doing crack every day uh, and mm-hmm. living a high-paced life uh, like Justin. Then you know, you gotta yeah. expect to be dead before you're thirty. Yeah. Well, I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. I hope he's not dead. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I, I think the same thing is is true of yeast. Hmm. So you have to be cognizant of that fact, and you're, you'll want to, you know, brew these and drink them fairly fairly quickly. Don't don't let them sit around for a long time expecting them to get better. Usually they're, they're pretty much at their prime shortly after your initial fermentation is done, and hmm. they're, they're ready to go. So... Getting back to the description, uh, the body mouthfeel of this is—it's it's never, never a really uh, sweet or big or, or cloying beer. This is this is again should be fairly refreshing. Should be you know it's got a nice mouthfeel to it. Uh, you know probably uh, medium to light mouthfeel, but uh, you know a lot of that is. Um, you know, from uh, carbonation and the wheat and all that. Should they and be highly carbonated? Yeah, absolutely. You're going to carbonate these to about, oh, you know, three volumes. Mm-hmm. So 
your average, uh, you know, American beer is carbonated to, oh, you know, between two and two and a half. Wow. Uh, you know, two and a half, and, and these will go to three. Kind of uh, high, spritzy, uh, you know, uh, quite a quite a bubbly uh, uh, beer. Okay. And... I did have a question earlier, since you're talking about uh, bubbly, it is uh, what CO2 levels you like to have in your... Right, right. So, about, so about three volumes. Okay. And that's going to vary based on you know, how much residual sugar there is and uh, you know, how many IBUs. And the thing I like to do, and one of the, the great reasons to have a kegging system, is that you can um, start out at a certain CO2 level and check it each day, you know, try a little bit, see how it's coming along. And there will be a point where it will get to, you know, just seems really right. It's not overly carbonated, not undercarbonated. It seems to blend in with the rest of the character of the beer, depending on how, again, how dry it is or you know, how much residual sugar there is. And then, you know, that's the point. And it doesn't really matter, you know, what the recipe calls for. You, it's going to be slightly different depending on how how the rest of the process went, <laughs> and you get past that point, then it starts getting kind of acidic, and biting, and uh, a little too much uh, uh, CO2. You get that carbonic bite, right? And uh, you know, then you know you've gone too far. Okay. And that's when you um, need to back off on it. But again, a kegging system allows you to do that. Right. It's one of the the, the great. Uh, Purchases. I would I would buy a kegging system before I buy like a conical fermenter or uh, anything along those lines. Well, yeah, draft beer. I mean, it's got to give to us. Yeah, there's nothing better than yeah. that. Now, if you were to counter pressure fill, would mm-hmm. you suggest? I was just thinking of this, like stirring up your keg to get the yeast back in suspension that falls out. Yeah, you can. You know what the uh, the major producers do is. They actually filter out their hefe yeast, and then they add back in lager yeast. And the reason they do this is that the lager yeast is a little more stable, and then the hefe yeast, the hefe yeast dies really quick, remember. Right. And the lager yeast tends to be uh, fairly dusty in its character. It doesn't form like big clumps like an English ale yeast. So when you have that in the bottle, it'll, you know, resuspend easily and... Uh, you know, have a nice look to it. Hmm. So that's why they, they filter it out and and then add back some lager yeast, a, a determined amount of uh, and they, lager yeast. They do that just for, like, looks and flavor, not necessarily carbonation, but just for, like, a preservative? Right, yeah. You know, you, the, the, some will bo- bottle condition with that lager yeast, but, uh, um, you know, for others, it's just having that, you know, yeast in there, and what what happens is, uh, if you've got a bottle of hefe and you know the yeast is sedimented to the bottom, you're supposed to roll it on the bar first mm. to rouse the yeast, and then pour it and uh, resuspend that yeast. So, uh, you know, in in competition, I don't see um, this very often. It depends on the judges. Some judges will. Uh, have them rouse the yeast. Some of them won't. Hmm. But they should then. Yeah, hard to say. You know, the yeast, um, you know, it has a flavor to it. Right. And, you know, it could be, uh, you know, with the right amount of yeast, it's a it's a nice part. It adds to that yeasty, bready uh, character, adds to the mouthfeel, adds to that. And uh, it, it, it can be good. But if you have too much yeast or the yeast has started to die off, if you haven't, Filtered out the the Weizen yeast and you know put in a, a more stable yeast. Uh, you know the yeast could be dying off and it could be unpleasant. Hmm. Hey so, Jamil, you want to keep rocking and rolling, or you want to take a break today? Well, let's take a break. Okay. And uh, a short break, and then when we come back, we'll get into uh, the recipe. Very good. The Jamil Show. We'll be right back. Wow! I good. Now, back to the Jameel Show. All right, we're back. We're talking about uh, Bavarian Hefeweizen. And uh, 
next we're going to talk about the recipe. And the recipe for this is actually fairly simple. You're going to use about 50% Pilsner malt, uh, continental Pilsner malt, so something from Europe, uh, Durst Pilsner or uh, Weirman Pilsner, and 50% wheat malt, not uh, unmalted wheat, but malted wheat, wheat malt. And uh, it's very important that you have uh, at least 50% wheat malt to be a true Bavarian uh, Hefeweizen. This is by law in, in Germany, and there is a practical reason for this. And the reason is uh, ferulic acid. In order to get the flavors, in order for the yeast to uh, produce that clove and banana, they need the ferulic acid. And the ferulic acid comes from the wheat malt. So in order to get that characteristic, you're going to have to have 50% wheat malt. You can go more. You can go 60 70%. Uh, past that point, it gets kind of difficult to work with wheat because there's no husk to them, hmm. and it, you can end up with a stuck mash, and you're going to want to use uh, rice hulls in that case maybe. If you're doing an extract-based beer, they have uh, wheat malt extracts, and they have uh, Pilsner malt extracts. So they have, uh, I know, more beer sells a, a Durst uh, Pilsner extract, I know, uh, Brees makes a nice Pilsner extract, and they also make a, a wheat extract. And you can you can take the you know a 50% uh, Pilsner malt extract and a 50% wheat uh, malt extract, and you use those together and make a very fine German Hefeweizen from those. As far as hops go, you're going to want to use a traditional German uh, hop, something like a Hallertauer, Mittelfruf, you can get it, or Hallertauer Tradition or uh, Tetanang. Those are all good uh, hops for this style. And it's all really just used for bittering, but some of that does come across in the flavor. So you're going to use, uh, you know, in a uh, 10, 53, you know, 13 Play-Doh wort, you're going to uh, use about 15 IBUs of uh, bittering in there. That's very light. And that's just going to balance out that residual sweetness, provide a very slight touch of a traditional German uh, hop flavor. Again, this is not about hop flavor in this style. And if you get none, that's fine too. But sometimes you can detect a little bit through there. That's why you use that traditional German hop. And then for uh, yeast, you're going to ferment with uh, uh, traditional German Hefe yeast. I'll get into that in, in detail in a little bit. As far as processing the grains, if you use an extract, you just go straight to the kettle. You're, you're good to go. If you're if you're doing all grain or partial mash, you're going to you can you can do single infusion, which is what I generally do, and I, I get good results. And uh, I go with uh, 152 degrees Fahrenheit or 67 degrees uh, Celsius in order to uh, convert the sugars, and that gives me a pretty good uh, balance of residual dextrin or, you know, long-chain dextrins to uh, short chains, and leaves you with a, enough of a mouthfeel to to be appropriate. You know, some systems are going to be a little thicker or thinner, so you may have to adjust from that. But I believe um, it, when I first started brewing uh, German Heffas, I did not do very well with this style, and I tried all sorts of different things, and I ran into all sorts of different problems, and I finally, a good friend of mine down in San Diego, Harold Gobranson, he had entered a uh, smoked uh, Hefeweizen in a competition that I judged, and after I found out it was his, uh, you know, I asked him about it, and, and the, the smoked character was, was nice and balanced with the rest of the beer, but what was great about it was that the uh, Hefe character was just flawless. It had that wonderful uh, bread character. It had a beautiful balance of the clove and the banana. None were overwhelming in one way or another. And the overall character of the beer just, just was perfect. And he started sharing all his secrets uh, on this. And actually, he has no secrets. He tells anybody freely. But he started telling me, uh, you know, all the things that I was missing on this. And I was making the beer too complex, and I was doing, you know, a lot of things that really didn't work out. But one of the things that he 
believes is critical to the style is a decoction mash. And I've heard this from, from others that there's a couple of styles of beer where you really need a decoction. And one of them is the German uh, Hefeweizen. And you can do a single decoction, and uh, that decoction is you pull out the thickest part of the mash into a separate pot, and you hold it at the, the sacrest temperature, and then you, you boil it for 20 minutes, and then you add it back to your main mash. And what this does is form uh, other melanoidins and, and uh, builds up that bready malty uh, character in the beer. And a lot of people believe that is critical to the style. Is that what they do in Germany? My understanding is, I, I've read things that say, well, you know, they all do it. And I'm not sure if that's true anymore, but uh, some of the stuff I read in the past uh, said that all German brewers, in order to brew a Hefeweizen, did a decoction. Hmm. So, uh, you know, they may be changing that nowadays. So decoction maybe, you know, if you want to uh, play around with the decoction, this might be an interesting beer to do that with. The ferulic acid is... Um, how, do you how do you spell that? Ferulic? Uh, F-E-R-U-L-I-C. Okay. okay. Use it and in a sentence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of ferulic acid in Joe's spew. In the, in the <laughs> I'll, I'm sure the bill will talk all about it. I'll yes. find out. Uh, the, that is actually uh, separated from the malt... Uh, uh, under um, uh, ideally at 111 degrees Fahrenheit, which is I think um, 44 degrees uh, Celsius, and uh, at about uh, 5.6 or 7 pH is where optimum ferulic acid production is is going to happen. So if you're if you're into that, uh, you could uh, do a rest. Uh, around 111, or you do maybe a protein rest around 122, and then go up to uh, 122 Fahrenheit, 50 degrees uh, Celsius, uh, then do a rest at maybe 149 Fahrenheit, 65 degrees Celsius, or, and then uh, you know 158 Fahrenheit, 70 degrees Celsius. Or you could do the uh, 50, 60, 70 thing that we talked about in the last show, which is kind of traditional for... Um, you know, a lot of German beers and, and mashing programs uh, go 50, 60, 70 uh, degrees Celsius. Sure's a lot of work for a wheat beer. <laughs> well, yeah. it's well, why why would a wheat beer less, be less deserving of work? Uh, this is the fl- I don't know. Oh, come on, Jamil. Everybody fl- knows that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jamil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm you not know, just biased, that's all. Yeah, yeah uh, well, and, and, and that's the thing. I think people have kind of come to look down on this style because there's not a lot of good ones being made in the U.S. right now. And you even know. the imported ones are already past their prime. Exactly. They don't travel very well. Yeah. So the ones you get, you know, a good, fresh uh, Bavarian uh, Hefeweizen in uh, Bavaria is you know, just, wow, it's a, it's a great thing. It's, it's really, uh, you know, well done. And it just doesn't do well in the bottle because of you know some of the things we said. And uh, I mean, you can get some some pretty decent ones. You know, Gordon Biersch. Yeah, Gordon I was Biersch. just talking in the chat room. I think a yeah. good German Hef uh, comes out of Gordon Biersch. Yeah, you just got that out, huh? Um, and uh, you know, the, the traditional examples are like Schneiderweiss, uh, the Paul Anner, Hackershore. Uh, you know, there's there's a, a number of them. And uh, yeah, those—if you can get them fresh or relatively fresh, those are those are pretty good. Hmm. And uh, you know, if done right, any beer style is a great beer, is right. a great drinking beer, and something you'll come to love. And and the reason I think people settle on certain styles is they can get really good examples of them, really okay. well done examples, and they go, "Wow, yeah," or they. Or they, they start making good examples of them through knowledge or luck or whatever, and it, it just turns out great. And so they become enamored of those styles, and they don't like the other styles. They don't like the other styles because they're not coming across good examples of them, or it, it's you know difficult to make a good example of it. So that's why they're, they're not into them. I got questions for you from the chat room. You want them now? Uh, 
uh, why don't we hold on? Let me go through uh, fermentation, and then uh, I think that's pretty much everything. All right, you go for it. All right, so fermentation is, uh, again, now this is where Harold really helped me out a lot, was he convinced me of this, you know, 30 degrees Celsius rule and the importance of fermenting these things relatively cold, in my opinion, because this is an ale, and you're thinking ale, oh, well, you know, know, upper 60s is is cool for an ale. Harold ferments his, he goes straight to 62 degrees Fahrenheit, holds it there, and I tried that, and it made a world of difference in my beer. Went from brewing crappy, non-viable, competition-wise beers Mm -hmm. at 67 which is what you know the general homebrew consensus was with everybody else I was talking to, to brewing uh, just a beautiful, balanced, great drinking beer at 62 degrees Fahrenheit. And they, they ferment quite well hmm. at that temperature. So the 30-degree centigrade rule or Celsius rule is you your, your pitching temperature and your fermentation temperature need to equal 30 when you add them up. So you might... Uh, pitch your yeast at 54 degrees Fahrenheit, 12 degrees C, and then let it naturally rise up through fermentation temperature to 64 degrees Fahrenheit or 18 C. So 12 and 18 equal 30. Okay. So you can change this if you want to ferment cooler around, uh, you know, 63 or 62 degrees Fahrenheit. You can, uh, you know, pitch at 13 degrees uh, C, 56 degrees Fahrenheit. And let it rise up to 17 degrees. Does this apply to all style of beers? Like, um, no, I've only heard this in relationship to Hefe. Okay. Uh, Bavarian Hefeweizens. So, uh, you know, 13 and 17 equals 30. See, I, I talked to Dan Gordon, and he, he even said to do it with ales. You know, we were talking mm-hmm. last week about pitching cold and how you bring right. it up, too. He said to even do that with ales. Yeah, you know, I think in a lot of ales, though, um, you really do want a certain estuary profile, mm-hmm. and if you if you're too controlled, especially you know unless you're trying to do something really clean, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it doesn't hurt to, I guess to to pitch it cold and bring it up. But uh, on ales, I I just I haven't been convinced of of the need to do that. Okay, I really see the the value in lagers, but not not necessarily in ales. But maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. Okay. Um, but in this style, so, definitely do that. So in this style, you can you can definitely do that, and I see where that makes a difference on controlling those phenolics and those esters. Uh, I've had great success just pitching and holding it at 62 degrees Fahrenheit as well. So you can you can do that 30 degrees C rule or you know 62 degrees Fahrenheit. As far as the the yeast that you want to use, uh, there's a very good. Uh, uh, yeast out there from White Labs and Y Yeast, I would go with, personally, I would use either the WLP 300 White Labs Hefe or the um, Y Yeast 3068. And those are the the traditional uh, German wheat yeasts. These are what the majority of those major German, Bavarian, Weizen uh, companies are brewing. What about the other ones? Uh, well, WLP, White Labs, uh, 351 or 380, uh, you know, some of them are less flocculent, some of them are a little uh, sweeter, some of them, you know, they have different uh, banana clove characteristics. Mm-hmm. On Y yeast, you're looking at uh, the 3638 or the 3056. All those are good choices, and, you know, if you are lucky enough to have, like, uh, the ability to make a, you know, 50G of, uh, of wort, mm-hmm. and you have, like, Ten carboys, you could, you know, try different yeast in each one, or even if you've got, you know, ten gallons of wort and, uh, you know, a couple of carboys, you could split that up and and try a couple of different yeasts, see what you like. You should probably do that the first time you do it, or stick with the traditional 3068 or the 300, mm-hmm. and uh, that would get you good results at at 62 degrees. Um, the one thing to be careful of, there is uh, a yeast labeled American Hefe, which is, uh, I think, uh, White Labs uh, 320. Right. And that American Hefe is not the yeast to use for this. Okay, This is a Bavarian Weizen, and it uh, requires those clove and banana characteristics. 
I think the American half is supposed to give you a real subtle uh, dose of that, but uh, really you're better off with um, uh, using the traditional yeast. And one other thing I want to say about these is there's some weird uh, misconception out there that using wheat in a beer somehow makes the beer uh, sour or tart, which is just nonsense in my opinion. And I don't know where that came from, but uh, I had seen that in the past, and I think it's starting to get you know eliminated from from the popular uh, uh, beliefs. But you know, wheat in itself, you know, if you eat a loaf of bread, is it sour? You know, it's not. If you if you make a hundred percent wheat beer, it won't be sour. You know, there is no sourness in wheat. Now, you could have contaminants or you can have uh, yeast that will give you uh, a tangy uh, ester or, you know, characteristic like that. And, uh, you know, some of the acids that are naturally occurring in the beer. But I don't think you're going to get a sour beer because you used yeast. That's just just not true. So uh, don't don't worry about using 50, 60, or 70% yeast, uh, wheat uh, malt in this. I will never tell... A customer the wrong info ever again. <laughs> Have you said that? that yeah. That uh, if you put wheat in it, you'll get sour yeah. beer? Well, and that, you know, I think that's Doc just, had talked about it a little bit. That's just something that people, uh, you know, have talked about for for years. I don't know where it came from, but, you know, it just keeps getting repeated. And that's not anybody's fault, but, you know, if you if you try and make a 100% wheat beer, there's no sourness to it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know where that would come from. And there are a couple 100% wheat beers out there. Uh, doesn't uh, Marin or Moylan's make 100, uh, wheat wine, which is actually quite good. Wheat wine, huh? Wheat wine. It's 100% wheat. Yeah. I'll give you and, that. And uh, wheat will convert itself. It's uh, You don't need anything other than wheat and some rice hulls. converts itself right inside my belly is the problem. Yeah, it does. <laughs> low, low gluten tolerance? <laughs> I don't know what it is. You want some questions, Jamil? Got a few to get yeah. to. All right. Yeah. Uh, one of the big ones was uh, you ever used uh, Schneiderweiss yeast in your beers, and what do you think of that if you have? Well, the Schneiderweiss, isn't that the uh, 3068 uh, Y yeast? I don't know. John, do you know that? No, I he has no idea. Jamil would know. Is that what they cloned it from? They, t- they took it from Schneiderweiss? Is that what you're saying? Um, I would, I, I, I uh, you know, again, they don't have their... Um, uh, you know, exact, uh, you know, uh, list of, of who's, uh, right, yeah, who's what, but, they're uh, sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I believe that, uh, that is that, the, that yeast. Okay. Uh, okay. And, and is that, that's one of the ones you recommended then anyway? Yeah, I, I would go with the 3068. If, if you're, if you're not going to do a comparison of the yeasts, I would just go 3068 or, uh, WLP 300. Okay. Uh, Dr. Scott adds flour to his wit to get some haze. He adds flour to the boil. Uh, right. What do you think about that for this style of beer to get some of that haze? Uh, don't. It's, uh, you know, unmalted wheat, and uh, you really don't want a starch haze like that. And if you use, you know, 50, 60, 70% wheat, uh, you're, you'll end up with a hazy enough beer. And then, you know, part of this is also... Um, you know, you're supposed to rouse the the yeast, and the yeast is supposed to be in suspension. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you if you ferment this, and uh, you know, once it's once you're done uh, with your fermentation, you start drinking it right after that. It, it'll be hazy enough. I wouldn't worry about that. Okay. And how about? Uh, and if it ends up crystal clear, just call it a crystal weizen. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. That's you what uh, some company in the in the Oregon area did with theirs, didn't they? Right. Um, what other beers can you ferment with a wheat beer yeast? Anything is it good for anything else? Well, you can do uh, you know Rogan beer, uh, which is a uh, uh, hefeweizen with uh, you know a portion of it being rye instead of wheat. And you could do a Dunkelweizen, which is a, a darker uh, version of a, a Bavarian hefeweizen. You do a Weizen Bach, which is a big, uh, you know, Bach-like uh, hefe, mm-hmm. which is also good. 
you could and you could ferment anything you want, uh, but those are really the beers that would be to style with this. Okay. I know you don't have the list in front of you. The chat room is uh, saying, uh, possibly as a correction, that uh, 3068 is uh, Van Stefan and 3638 is Schneiderweiss. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah. those of you well, listeners. Well, then that's probably the case. Yeah. I don't have that. Yeah, uh, they might be looking it up. So, um, Okay, and then for uh, for anybody to answer here, a little bit off topic, was a question that came through. Uh, are, there, are there any good resources that you folks like to use to convert all grain recipes to extract, mm-hmm. uh, which I would assume you could convert either way if it's a good resource? Yeah, they have... Uh, yeah, if you have something like ProMash, you can just, uh, you know, eliminate the base grain and add in extract until the final gravity number is the same. That's an easy way to do it. They also have um, brewing spreadsheets out there that are for free mm-hmm. that you can download off the Internet that will help you do the same thing. Just uh, you know, delete the base pale malt so you'll have, uh, you know, if it says, you know, English pale malt or Marisot or something like that, Get yourself a Maris Otter extract and, and just same amount of gravity points. If you have, um, uh, you know, a Pilsner malt in the, as a base malt, then, you know, replace it with a Pilsner malt extract. If you have an American two-row base malt, replace it with, uh, you know, an ultralight, uh, like Alexander's ultralight extract. And, you know, that will cover most of those cases. You can, um, you know, the calculation is fairly simple if you know, what you need to know in the all-grain recipe is, well, this amount of base malt, you know, they're calculating this recipe at what efficiency. And, you know, you're, if you're 70% efficiency, you're getting 70% of the potential of that base malt. And if you're at 65%, you're getting 65% of it, or 80%, you're getting 80% of it. And the thing is, that's going to vary how many... Uh, points of extract that equals, and with extract it's always pretty much the same. You know, you, you get a certain amount of extract, you dump it in, you get you know x number of points. And uh, so, for the extract brewers, it's kind of tricky because they're looking at these all grain recipes and they don't know what it was calculated out as efficiency wise, and they don't know um, uh, you know how how much to replace with. So. If you you, ha- you have to have a piece of information. If you do, then you know one of these spreadsheets makes it really easy. You just do a search for beer spreadsheets or what? Yeah, and uh, you know, ask around. You know, get on one of the forums and say, hey, anybody know of any good beer, uh, you know, recipe uh, spreadsheets or beer calculations? Okay. And uh, there's a bunch of them. People do them, and there's you know uh, ones that are done in Excel. So if you have Excel, do it that way. There's some that are online. Um, I think, uh, what is it called, um, beertools.com or something like that? Yeah, that's a don't, cool site, actually. they have uh, yeah. a calculator there? They do, the whole recipe calculator. Right. So, you know, something like that will work. Somebody in the chat saying uh, brewery.org has conversion charts. Over there you there. go. Uh, so brewery.org for that one. You could, They just got the charts right there. Yeah, there's a ton of uh, information out there. Okay. All right, uh, Jamil, next time one of my favorites is Kolsch. Oh, actually, we've switched that. Oh, you did? To yeah. uh, uh, Dusseldorf Alt Beer. Nice. Oh, okay. Because uh, uh, some listeners uh, had requested uh, Dusseldorf Alt Beer. So are you so. pushing everything down then, or are you just taking out Kolsch? Taking out Kolsch. Oh. <laughs> you <laughs> bastard. All <laughs> beers are good, too. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I happen to brew 10 gallons of Kolsch. Mm-hmm. And you know what happens when I brew 10 gallons? I get five. That's right. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> and it turned out pretty good. And I get five, too. <laughs> Jamil, you get to you get the high five. <laughs> the high five. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, on... Uh, on Bavarian Weizen, yeah. really what you want to do is, the way I would do this is I'd go with a 50% uh, wheat malt, 50% continental pilsner malt. I would, or, you know, 50% uh, wheat extract and 50% uh, pilsner extract. I'd IBU it with uh, traditional uh, German hop like Hallertauer Middlefrew. 
which is what, what I use. Uh, it's about 15 IBUs. And it, I would just put this in at the 60-minute uh, uh, mark. I'd boil this whole thing only for maybe 65 minutes, five minutes, and then uh, put your hops in, and then the rest of the 60 minutes, and that would be it. I would uh, ferment it around 62 degrees Fahrenheit with uh, uh, white yeast uh, 3068 or the WLP 300, and I would um, carbonate it in the keg to around three volumes and uh, until it tastes just right, and I'd drink it up and have a great uh, have a great time enjoying it. I'd, I'd have a, a liter each morning with my my Wheaties, <laughs> and uh, that's how I would do the uh, Bavarian Weizen. I would drink it up and have a good time doing it. That's good yes, advice. That's right. Just All right. Milk so, uh, coming up next, are you going to do a repeat of the uh, Sunday show? No, I don't have it. Oh, <laughs> and well, tomorrow, uh, then tune in around ten o'clock for the Graham Sanders uh, Oz Craft Brewer Show. And I'll do one a repeat of, of the Sunday show after that one. All right. Thanks, Jamil. Great. Thank you, guys. See you, Jamil. All right. Jamil Show has been a production of the Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jamil to Jamil at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jamil Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Brewing Network. <laughs>